All right, welcome everyone. Uh, another edition of Farm Tank, but we're kind of twisting things up and changing them around a bit here moving forward. It's going to be a tag team duo here of Carter Williams and myself. Carter, as you guys know, you've all met many times, I'm sure, uh, CEO of iSelect, a venture funding uh, company that I'm part of. And really what we're going to do is we're going to name this thing. It's going to be run under Farm Tank and it's going to be your outsourced ag CTO. And it's really going to feature Carter Williams and myself kind of going through talking about some things. Uh, what's the latest, greatest, newest things in ag technology? For those who don't know, CTO is your chief technology officer. So I've kind of always leaned on Carter to keep me abreast of what's happening. And Carter and I were kicking around some ideas and we thought, hell, let's uh, let's do this on a regular basis, maybe every couple of weeks. Carter keeps us abreast. He's out in Washington a lot, meeting with a lot of people, meeting out in California. He just got back from San Francisco at a big ag tech uh, conference and convention. So I thought nothing would be better than to have your own personal CTO <laughs> that kick, kicks as much ass as Carter does on your team every couple of weeks, keeping you abreast of what's happening. Now, as you guys also know, we're rolling out, partnering with iSelect to roll out our uh, investment fund where people can invest, individual investors, accredited investors can invest just like I invest or Andy and any of the other folks you've met through the years in ag tech startups uh, through Carter's firm. And, you know, we'll get into more of that. We'll have links on here and different things. But how the format's going to go each week or each couple of weeks, Carter and I are going to kind of get on and wrap a little bit and talk about some things. Then Carter is going to invite a guest on of a company that he's looking at and his company's looking at possibly as an investment or possibly as a game changer coming down the pipe. Carter and I thought this is gonna be a win-win for everyone for two reasons. Number one, you can invest in, in through iSelect and start investing in ag tech startups to gain some exposure there. But also we want people to become a customer possibly of the people that we feature on the show are some of the companies that Carter talks about. I know Carter always quizzes people on what's the first thing that a company needs and its customers. So we're hoping we can help get the farm gate opened up a little bit, get people interested in some of the latest technology that may help them and their family and give the guys uh, and folks and ladies a way to invest in a, in a variety of uh, new ag tech. So Carter, I know you just got back from San Fran. You told me there's some crazy stuff going on uh, in the ag space or some new tech. Tell us what you're seeing, buddy. Yeah, one really cool new technology is a company named uh, Climax Food, which sort of a, a interesting name for it. But what they what they can do is duplicate cheese with plant based, and they this is actually something we've been looking at for a long time. I uh, you know, when you think about Benson Hill, what they're doing is they're using big data and AI to speed up crop development. Then the question is like, can you speed up new food? And meaning like use other resources. So basically it's a Google guy who started this company, sort of crazy, or people thought he was crazy. And he, he scans the cheese with a bunch of scanners. He then has a computer that has knows about 300 ag uh, plant-based products. The computer runs for like three weeks and it, it understands taste, it understands fermentation, and it, it fiddles with these 300 different possible plant ingredients. And then says, here's the recipe for making a duplicate of that blue cheese 
from these plant-based inputs. And the damn stuff tastes exactly like blue cheese. They do feta, blue cheese, um, brie, and a, and a bunch of others. They're working on mozzarella. And, and there has been easily a couple billion dollars spent by people working on other weird fermentation techniques to deal with this that have all failed. And this guy with his computer in a short period of time, he's now like apparently last Tuesday, they were thinking about how to make butter and they figured out how to make butter. Um, so it's sort of cool on many fronts. One, it's sort of food science and a computer, which food science is normally a bunch of guys in a lab, like thinking about stuff and fiddling with stuff over years. Now it's three weeks to do that. Uh, two, whether you're vegan or not a vegan, once it's plant-based, it it just maximizes resources better. You can you can say, hey, I could go put some cows in and make some milk and go through that entire process. There are a lot of steps there. And that kind of cheese is awesome. But in many ways, this can take other crops that are maybe cheaper or crops that are more available and redirect them and go ahead and make make the cheese. And then certainly there are a lot of people who can't eat cheese because they're lactose intolerant. And so there are lots of different reasons why um, this is an interesting thing on the cheese side. But notionally, they can do that with other foods too. So um, it's just a really big breakthrough. Hey, two couple of things. On the plant-based side, I mean, I know a lot of our producers and a lot of people cringe because, you know, they're thinking, oh, shit, this is this is going to be bad for farmers long term or, you know, livestock people or, or things of that nature. So, I mean, I suspect the lab based plant based is going to need more whatever uh, chickpea, you know, whatever it may be that they're turning and using into uh, in making the cheese. So is that the benefit to the. Yeah, it's a few I you. Yes, you're still the, these are more plant-based ingredients so it's very clean label so for the most part it's all plants we know they're a little secretive about what they're using right but so there may be a few crops in there that are not like really super well known yeah uh but it's all you know someone's got to grow these crops and and when you think about like you know actually china has a genetic predisposition to be lactose intolerant so it also opens new markets, meaning like, oh, we, we can do this, produce a cheese and, and sell into a market that didn't exist before. I see. As, as I do want to say as investors, sometimes people say, well, you guys are just vegan people or you're just meat people because we invest in both. And our, we're sort of an all the above. The, 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 the big global dynamic that we're paying attention to is they're like 3 billion people moving into the middle class in Asia. And so when 3 billion people move into the middle class, they want more good stuff. They want to stop eating like rice and beans and they want to eat meat and other stuff. And so our general attitude is, you know, like one or two meals a week may move more plant-based, but people will also be ordering steaks. And, and so if we can bring efficiency to that whole system, Cool. that's cool but it's but this technology 
when we think about the health issues that so we have metabolic disease, 1.9 trillion spent each year dealing with things in the US dealing with things like diabetes is there are a lot of people that are just eating processed food to begin with, like 50% of our diet is processed food. So if, if you can make a better, cheaper cheese the, to people who are not eating it already and give them something healthier and then they have less metabolic disease. So they're $1.9 trillion each year spent on the healthcare costs related to poor nutrition is $6,000 per person per year in the United States that it costs us to have people be sick because they're eating highly processed food. So it's going to take a little while to figure this out, but in general, I think that these opportunities that are coming up 20 years from now, people will look back and hear sort of the plant-based stuff and they'll be like, oh, that created a whole bunch of new opportunity. We're still eating meat. And, and really it'll take share from people who are eating Doritos. So if you're in the Dorito business, you might be in a little bit of a challenge or the, what are those? Um, Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its might be. Where were the pigs that were eating the Oreos? The pigs eating Oreos. Do you want to tell that story? I'm not going to tell that. <laughs> no, we'll talk on that one. I was just talking to uh, Robert Sparks the other day. So a lot of people here probably know his dad, Wilbur. But um, yeah, yeah, they, that's another story that somebody can ask us when they see us. Yeah, exactly. So what what uh, company in your portfolio that you guys are currently invested in? It could have been an ABC lower round. What what are you excited about that you? that you think you're seeing some traction with or well things like earth optics yeah are really turning into something interesting the we we there's a lot of pressure on climate kinds of things and we're not quite sure we're not really like we don't really like enthusiastically invest in anything that's sort of doing carbon offset and i think a lot of farmers are smart to just take advantage of those dollars if they're available <laughs> Uh, but what really Earth Optics is getting to is they're really telling you what soil compaction's like. They are figuring out how to monetize carbon if that's available. And so there's a there's a, a near-term market available for that. But I think long-term, the ability to really understand soil health and the properties around soil health to be able to improve, you know, nutrition really comes from the soil. So the, if we think about plants and plant-based nutrition or any kind of nutrition in terms of protein and that, that really comes from the soil. So improving soil health, I think uh, Earth Optics is doing a really good job of building that market out and the data. And we really are starting to see an opportunity between that and Arable, who's doing uh, data around all the farmland on top and Tillable a bit from a standpoint of hey, what's the real value and the production value of this land? We're seeing all those three sort of start to converge at some level where we're really building some depth that says, you know, we have a big data model around the whole thing that's in the farmer's control and that they can understand a little bit more directly. Um, hey, I can improve yield, taste, nutrition in these ways if I if I control variables and where the science is turning more into engineering and practice. And so I think that there's a lot of optionality in what earth optics is doing in terms of near term, if somebody wants to monetize carbon long-term, if they want to improve profitability, um, 
which leads a bit to there's one one producer i'll leave his name out right now who's got a large and this is a little bit why i thought trevor would be interesting to have on the call today is what he's done is he runs he already produces a lot he's got a large operation but he what this particular producer did is he he teamed up with about 10 other producers and they've integrated about a hundred thousand farmland acres into a chicken feed contract. They've disintermediated Cargill a bit and they've, they've really gone the whole supply chain right to the, the chicken operation. The other thing they had to do is that chicken operation sort of said, look, we, we like what you're doing, but our customers are sensitive to a couple of things. So, we want to make sure you do this with fertilizer. And they had some rules that they wanted. And really this producer's attitude was like, look, if you're going to pay me more or I'm going to make more profit, I'm in. And, and he integrated that all. And so what we're starting to see is there are entrepreneurial producers that are, it's not really a co-op, it's sort of a karitsu or a, a teaming up of sort of saying, look, if Whole Foods or one of these people want to have some particular changes to how we produce and is willing to pay for it, we'll do it. And that they're also finding the opportunity to own the whole value chain or a lot of it so that it, you know, that Cargill doesn't get it or ADM doesn't get it, that everybody in the value chain is able to share. So they're able to make more profit and they're able to control and make long-term contracts. And we're starting to see some of the seed companies think about this. There's there's a wheat co-op that's thinking about. Are you familiar with Fairlife? Have you tried Fairlife, Kevin? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So Fairlife, Fairlife used to be a milk co-op. Basically, it's sort of still sort of is a milk co-op, but they build that branded milk, which then also became like a a protein drink for sports enthusiasts. And and then they sold the brand, I think, to Coke for like a billion dollars. So you're like, is that that area you were telling me about? The one that you said was looking at to model. The what? What's the, what's the dairy you were talking about? That yeah, we that's that dairy. That's um. So the Fairlife, you know, all the people in that co-op. I don't know exactly what they made, but they're like, hey, we're working together with our co-op, and then they sort of corporatized and got a CEO and really integrated better and then they developed some novelty in the processing so brought some tech in they controlled the whole supply chain they got closer to the cpg side and then coke came along and i think bought them for a billion dollars so everyone's pretty happy yeah so, and and now people are sort of saying hey can i do that for chicken feed or can i do that for bread or and so we're starting to see what we call more vertical integration going on um guys like tillable are starting to get uh requests from cpgs that are sort of like where do i find producers that can build this specialty bean i'm sorry grow this specialty bean and you've got producers sort of saying how do i find the cpgs i mean you've got this exchange going on up that and I think you've mentioned this in terms of like how do we build the supply chain yeah and that that has been the bitch I mean you know guys will call or uh producers will call and want to know how they can grow for a chipotle or they can grow for whoever it may be and chipotle is looking for people as well so sometimes 
I've been able to be the conduit to that. And I think it is interesting that you said some of the farmers and producers are teaming up to be able to offer maybe more of a package, a, a full package to the CPG or the end user and be able to go direct. I, I think that is going to be big. I mean, I talk to people every day and almost, you know, multiple people every week who are trying to build their own brand, Carter, and like, you know, turn their operation and farm into to something where they can go direct and, and gain more of a premium. I mean, we all know that commodity markets, I mean, it's a commoditized market and eventually we're going to be back down here when we're going to have $3 corn and, you know, sub $10 beans again. And it's, it's probably not a matter of if, but when, and then people are going to be looking for ways to uh, gain a premium again. So I think it's not John Dutton's doing this on Yellowstone, isn't it? Didn't Beth say like, let's, (laughs) let's come up with our own online brand for (laughs) you got it. Now, I don't know if we got to take as many people to the down to the train station or any of that shit like they they did on Yellowstone, but who the hell knows? Business so. can get brutal at times, but uh I guess. Let's get Trevor into the conversation. Um as most of you know, we started Farm Tank shit. We started probably about 10 years ago and maybe 12. It was a spin. Andy and I were throwing and this is how we met Carter actually. Andy and I were throwing money at stupid things a lot of times and we we would be in the craziest ventures and, and adventures, I should say. They turned into adventures. And uh, Andy and met Carter, and Carter's like, my goodness, you guys are idiots, and maybe I can help keep you out of some of this stupidness and craziness. And So Carter, uh, you know, he has a I think team I was more polite than that. but Yeah, you were, but in, in our world, we were like, wow, somebody's got a team that can sit and analyze businesses and business models and help keep us from just throwing money at a lot of stupid things. Well, that'd be great. So we kind of gathered up with Carter, but we'd started Farm Tank just as a spinoff of Shark Tank. And we were just, you know, instead of Shark Tank where they're investing in everything, Farm Tank was just, we were going to invest uh, some some wealthy friends and we were just going to invest in different ag tech startups or ideas that farmers had. Some of them were just, you know, stuff right out of the shed and out of the barn and way, way early. So, you know, we've now tried to become a little more professional and, and throw money at things that Carter and his team have kind of done their due diligence on. And uh, one of the first guests, obviously first guests we're going to have on Carter and him, I know are looking at Trevor McKeeman uh, with Hitchpin. So Carter, you guys have been talking a little bit. You want to take it from here and introduce Trevor and Trevor and Carter. Let's see what you guys got. Yeah. Sure. Trevor, do you mind just like, give us a, uh, as I said, we're trying to figure out how to integrate the supply chain more effectively. And if I'm a producer trying to figure out how to find customers or I'm a, CPG trying to work with the producer, it's a little bit down the road, but like vertically, how do I integrate? And then, and then how do I reconcile access to pay and other things? But can you just, just sure. give our, give your 30 second so that everybody understands what you do? Well, I, I first of all, I enjoyed the lead up to this, which is uh, taking people down to the train station and, and crazy ideas. It's like, <clears throat> I'm not sure what I'm getting into here with this podcast, but, uh, Actually, in all seriousness, I love this idea of the outsource CTO for farmers. I think you guys are on to something incredibly cool with that, because as you talk to farmers, there's so many decisions that they're having to make all the time. And a huge chunk of those decisions are technology decisions. Uh, I think you guys are onto a format that's going to have a lot of success because of that. So anyway, I'm, I'm delighted, to be a, delighted to be a first guest on this thing. As far as Hitchpin, you know, you, you guys were... It was music to my ears when you were talking about the supply chain and digitization of the supply chain. 
and just sort of the the massive change that we're going to see uh, for producers. I love Kevin. I love your idea of how do you find that additional value in something. So what Hitchpin is, in, in very simple terms, is a marketplace for ag products and services. So it's it's um, not just the ability to buy and sell things like hay and cattle and equipment, uh, but also the services behind farming. So we think about custom harvesting and, you know, we got uh, Kevin has hay bales behind him, so the ability to do custom swathing and, and raking and baling. And we're really the, the first marketplace to combine those two things in the U.S. At, in any kind of scale. And what we see long term is um, there's a direct benefit to the producer to be able to find the things they need uh, quickly. Uh, as you guys know, most of this world is most of the ag world is still heavily telephone based and heavily based on the network of the two, you know, five people around you that know that, you know, that have that product or service. And we're really just bringing kind of a whole new level of information across uh, across the entire ag spectrum. So that could be at the producer level, but I also like this conversation at the CBG, CPG level too. So it's like, how can you better connect that entire continuum in a, in a digital marketplace? And, and that's what we're working on. Well, and it's, you can download it right now. It's, it's available. It's live right now. We, we on, have, uh, on Android and, and Apple. Yeah. So it's on uh, hitchpin.com uh, and is our web app. And then we also have a, an iOS app. Uh, which if you look for Hitchpin Agriculture, we've got 64,000 farmers already on it. Uh, they have listed products and services in 49 states already. We're still missing Hawaii. I've got to, I've got to get a, like a pineapple listed or something in Hawaii. Do we have a, Kevin, you got anybody in Hawaii that reads your letter? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we've got several. Okay. Well, there's a lot of agriculture. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a ton. A lot of seed, you know, seed people grow a lot of seed corn over there and seed beans. Exactly. I, so I kind of tease, but Hawaii's how Hawaii's going to be on the list. Maybe it's going to take a business development trip or something. Yeah, I'm game for that. To I'm get it to get it done, but no, we're, we've been growing incredibly rapidly. Producers have have listed a, a lot of products and services on Hitchpin, and and really, I mean, I think in all honesty this digitization of the supply chain in food and ag, it's not a question of if it's going to happen, it's a question of when. And I think it's it's inevitable that this will be a, a, a really important topic, I think, for, for producers out there over the next five years. Uh, it's, um, it's happened in all these other industries, taxis and hotels and airlines. I think the reason it hasn't happened in ag yet, uh, sort of before Hitchpin, is as you guys know, agriculture is so much more complicated than some of these other industries. All the variability of products and logistics and all that stuff, it, it's uh, there's a lot more to it. So who was your first customer and why did they buy? Oh, I, lo I love this question. Uh, our, first, our first customer, actually, this is indicative of how we view the world, was it was a 16-year-old a who was just getting into farming, uh, actually comes from a, a a small farm, but that's it's a farm that's not big enough for him to come back to it. He's a 4.0 student, state level wrestler, brilliant guy, could do anything he wants to do. And what he wants to do is farm. And they don't have the acres to support him coming back. So he was already, you know, buying and selling hay, uh, you know, offering swathing services to sort of pay for the equipment that he was buying. And the counterparty to that was a 74-year-old producer that's on the other end of the spectrum. He wants to stay in production agriculture, but he's, you know, he he doesn't have the labor uh, that he that he needs. 
Uh, you know, he doesn't really want to spend a whole bunch more money on equipment at this stage. And so that was our first transaction, the, the total tails of the bell curve. Um, and actually that bell curve is expanded. We, we, we just had a producer the other day that uh, 87 years old, Western Kansas cannot find hay. They, his, his area was part of the big fire that came through a couple years ago. They rebuilt after the fire. And then the drought has just, you know, just leveled those guys out there. He was at a sale barn selling off two thirds of his herd. And somebody at the sale barn said, hey, have, have you, is this because you can't find hay? And if so, you ought to, you ought to check out this hitch pin. We found him hay and he was able to save the rest of the third of the herd that he had. So we've got a huge variety. Like the 16 year old. Oh, I'm sorry. You switched. No, that, that was just recently. That just happened just a couple of weeks ago, 87 year old. So our producer base, the reason I bring that up is, is it's, it's all up and down. It's not, it's not skewed toward a younger or an older demographic. Uh, as you guys know, if you want to get to the decision makers in ag, you've, you've got to have, you've got to be able to build software that covers the spectrum of people. And what was the biggest transaction you did? We've, uh, I'll give you an example of um, people are, uh, you know, a lot of times they're, they're buying and selling their products for the first time online. I mean, they've bought things on Amazon. They're used to that sort of thing, but to list a big part of their business. So one producer that I think is pretty, pretty fascinating. Uh, they bought a $3,000 service to test it out. And th these are big producers out West. Then they said, okay, that worked really well. They sold a $6,000 service and that went well. And then they sold half a million dollars in grain and that went well. And now they have a demand side listing right now for hay that's over a million dollars. So you've you've seen them be on the buy side, the sell side, both products and services. And what we're seeing is as, as people get comfortable with these marketplaces, they tend to do more and more larger transactions. Interesting. Is that like a, I guess on eBay, you know, you get ratings as a seller, as a buyer, you know, do they get rated or? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, okay. that, that's, that's the cool part of it is, um, you know, you think about, you think about the difference between a New York taxi cab, we'll pick on New York taxi cabs for a second versus a, versus an Uber, right? If you're in the taxi cab and the guy can be rude to you, the car can be dirty. It doesn't matter because chances are he's never going to see you again. But the different, the reason I think Uber had success is because of that rating system. You know, the guy, the guy being friendly to you, having a clean car, all that stuff matters. And I think the same is agriculture is such a relationship basis that, I mean, that covers a lot of business. It covers a lot of those needs, but when you're connecting people across bigger geographies that aren't in the local networks, that reputation matters a lot. And so if you've got somebody that's consistently delivering quality product at the right time, they're going to have a higher reputation score. They're going to be able to have some command on their pricing to Kevin's point earlier about higher value. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, if you've got somebody that tries to you know, misrepresent a product, you know, in a, in a manual world, maybe they can do that to two or three other people before somebody really catches them. But in a, in a world where every transaction has a reputation score associated with it, you push the bad actors out really fast. So you actually get to a much higher quality product much faster because of that. Yeah, that's good. Makes sense. Yeah. And you're located where? You're a K-Stater, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're located in 
Manhattan, Kansas. I, uh, if you look at the growth of our, our company, it started in the center part of the country and then it moved very quickly to the coast. And now we're, we're going back through and filling us uh, density of supply and demand from the center out again. So uh, we're, we're proud to be proud to be here. You started it. I did. I, you know, I came from a farming background. I, we grew up uh, 1980s farming. So our neighbors were, were going out of business. I mean, it was, it was a difficult time. We looked at farming differently, I think, is the reason that we survived. And, um, you know, I think about my, my father, uh, he's 75. Um, at first, he asked, why do you need a digital marketplace to sell ag products? I mean, that was his first question. And then, because, you know, in, in years past, he would sell hay. Sometimes it sold fast. Sometimes it sold slow. Sometimes the guy didn't pay him for six months. And I kept thinking, how is this a thing? Like, you know, this is the 21st century. How is this a thing? Well, he listed, he was one of the first guys to list products on Hitchpin, listed it. It sold within a couple of days and the money was in his bank account right after the, the product had been delivered. And he's like, I get why you're doing this. And as an example, this year, all of sort of McKeeman Farms hay has all gone through Hitchpin. And it's been fascinating because the buyers have been these folks that are really desperate for hay out west. And, you know, the local networks that they've depended on calling their neighbors for hay, they don't work when, when everybody's in a drought situation. And so the arbitrage of that commodity from the east to the west this year has been unbelievable. So you know, the guys out west are getting a better price than they could get locally. The guys in the east are getting a higher price than they could sell locally there too, and you know again we're 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 seeing some farms stay in business because of that that would not would not have stayed in business in, in an other otherwise manual sort of network. Are you are you posting? Can people post jobs on there, or is it? Yeah, no, I I love it. So we started. I kind of joke that if Amazon started with books, uh, we started with something equally sexy. Uh, which is hay, but hay is hay is a fourteen to twenty billion dollar industry, totally fragmented, no price transparency across the country. That's where we started. Then we added services, so you know the uh, you know things like custom harvesting and and other things. Then we've gone back and done um, you know livestock and, and cattle being a big part of that equipment. Uh, we've done some initial work in grain, so that'll be a that'll be an interesting thing, Kevin, to get your your thoughts on as we expand that side of it. Um, and then the labor piece, I think, is one of those things that's coming. We have it as a category on Hitchpin already, so you can, uh, if you think about that sort of uh, gig economy type thing that that we've seen in all these other industries, I think that's going to be something that grows in a marketplace. Uh, most of the most of the labor aspects that we that we think about right now are actually a person and their machine showing up to get the job done. So it's, it's hiring the service complete. Okay. And that's a, you know, that's a something that's common in agriculture, but there's been no clearing house to, to find the buyers and sellers for that. And, and so if, if I'm a producer and I'm your dad and I'm yeah. like, I, so maybe it was easier to convince them. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> sure. no. uh, but it's a pretty tough cookie. But like, uh, you know, the adoption of new technology, sometimes I say invention of new technology is easy. Like at Kevin's conference, I said back in 1990, we decided we wanted to kill Saddam Hussein. So we spent 60 days building a bunker buster bomb and deployed it. So building technology sometimes can be quick. Yeah. Um, Adopting technology 
is hard because it's, you know, how do I use it? How does it fit in? Am I going to get ripped off? What, how do I know these people? So what do you, like, if you're thinking about your early adopters, what, yeah. what would you tell them to, what, you're asking them to take a bet on you. Yeah. And what, what, yeah, I, I what would you ask them to do before they make a final decision as to whether you're a good or bad solution for what they want to do? I love this question. I think adoption, I, I, I assume adoption is going to be one of the main themes of this podcast, as it should be. Um, and I think there's a number of different ways to look at it. First of all, there's, a, as you guys know, there's a ton of fluff out there when it comes to technology. It's like some, you know, some of these technologists are sitting in a room solving a problem that nobody has. And I think that's, so you got to first start with the fundamentals of actually solving a real world problem that there's a pain out there that the market is willing to, to pay for. And in our case, I mean, there's data and all kinds of other things that we can do long-term with Hitchpin, but we're solving a very real need. If somebody needs hay or if somebody needs to sell their cattle and they can get a higher price for it, there is a direct incentive for that to occur, right? And so the other thing that we did is we really put skin in the game ourselves. We said, okay, you can come to Hitchpin, you can create a, a free account and in a couple minutes. I mean, it's incredibly fast and you can upload your product or service for free. So it's basically, you are now, you now have an online store to be able to offer your product and service in a matter of minutes. So is that like have, Shopify or? Yeah. Like, so we have two Etsy? things. One is, one is the ability to just create a listing. So I could create a grain listing or I could create a cattle listing. Uh, but we also have a, a new feature called storefronts, which allows you to take all your listings and put them in one place. So you could have a, your own URL, hitchpin.com slash iSelect or hitchpin.com slash Van Trump, and then have all the products and services that you sell or buy categorized in that. And then people can follow that storefront. And I mean, it, it just opens up a whole new world of connecting with buyers and sellers. And so by offering, basically you've got, you've offered them free marketing, you've offered them free payment processing to get all that stuff set up. They didn't have to go hire a web developer to do that. Cause I mean, I think this is something you guys probably see. There's a lot of producers and a lot of tech technology companies that are trying to do these things. But even if you've got a great website and even if you've got payment processing, you've spent the you know tens of thousands of dollars to get there, is anybody gonna see your site? Is does anybody know it even exists with the way uh, search engines work today? And so by aggregating those into a marketplace, you bring much more visibility to these producers. So we offer all those things up and then we say, throw it out there and see what, see what, uh, see what happens. And then lo and behold, buyers come in, they see the product, they buy it. And when we transfer the money from the buyer to the seller, that's when there's a fee associated with it. Cause it's, again, we've got skin in the game to see success happen. And then, you know, that's how we make money. But at that point, the, both the buyer and the seller are very pleased with the process because they, they've now been able to do something that they wouldn't have been able to do earlier. So should I like do a $2,000 transaction to figure out whether I really like this or just put my website up or like, you know? Well, so I'll give you an example. We had, we had some guys that actually run a vet, vet, um, they have a vet business, vet supply business. As part of that, they have they have quite a cow herd that they keep every year. And every year they go and they haul five truckloads of, of uh, animals to the sale barn and they kind of accept whatever price the sale barn is going to give them that day, right? And it's a logistics problem. 
it's putting a lot of stress on the animal to move them there and then they get moved out. And so I'll give you a prime example. The, the son who's in his late forties said, Hey dad, why don't we, why don't we post this on Hitchpin? See what happens. So they, they knew the sale was coming up in two weeks. They, they posted it on Hitchpin. Um, the, the cattle sold within 24 hours. It doesn't always happen that fast, but, but it did. It, they sold really fast. They got a higher price than they would have at that spot market at the sale barn that day. And the buyer came and picked up the animals at the farm. So you put a lot less stress on the animal. There was a lot less logistics. And so it was one of those things. They used Hitchpin as a test case, a zero risk test case to try it out. It was a, it was a superior service and, and lo and behold, they, they do it again. So it's that kind of, I mean, you got to earn their respect. You got to earn a, a, a producer's um, respect that you, you can't just demand it. And that's, you know, that's what we try to do. Yeah, I, I would I would commend you on the fact that I think a lot of uh, producers or people in agriculture, I mean, sometimes uh, the business acumen, they may not have been taught as much or around as many people. But if you're going to have a website or you're going to try and build your own brand and you're going to try and go direct, you have to understand, I mean, there's in, in, in real world, in brick and mortar, there's destination locations. Or there's high traffic transactional locations. Yep. And so when we're looking at buying buildings or putting different businesses in brick and mortar buildings, you have to ask, is this a destination location where people are going to drive regardless of where you're at to come get your product? Yep. Or do you have to be a transactional type business where you have to make sure you're in a key location where you're getting tons of foot traffic because that's what's going to drive your business. So with what I'm seeing with Hitchpin, I mean, you're going to be able to put a storefront now in a location that is going to have foot traffic and traffic going by your building on a daily basis where if you just put your own website out there uh like trevor's saying shit the odds of people finding you on a search engine yeah. or paying to get ranked anywhere in the top five pages probably slim it enough so yeah. you need a place with some foot traffic if you're going to get some visualization so the more trevor i'm assuming more your network grows the better it becomes more foot traffic you know yep. so yeah. yeah yeah I like yeah that. Yeah, cool. And, you know, there's two there's two elements that you bring up that I think are just absolutely spot on. And that is one, when you've got traffic in there, you can also expose that traffic to things that are tan tangential to what yeah. they were originally looking for. So they come they come in looking for cattle and we can intentionally say, well, have you thought about feed? Have you thought about hay? have you thought about vet services? Those sorts of things we call that engineered serendipity. So it's it's not by accident that you can. You can do other that. things you may be interested in. Yeah, well, exactly. And then, <laughs> and then the other that. cool part is back to your. I love this example of the store that you're talking about because what we're also seeing people do is they're putting a pin out for a demand listing, let's say a grain listing in a certain part of a state that says, "Hey, we want to try to draw grain from that location," and it's it's almost like a virtual terminal that they can put out there, you know, in a matter of seconds and move that terminal wherever they want. And then they can start to see, is there a supply there that we weren't able to access earlier before they do any kind of physical terminal build or anything like that. We've got some, some partners on the grain side that are, that are doing that. And it's fascinating because you can, you can move so fast and find those supply and demand pockets in a way that you just, you can't do via the telephone. And are you, where would you, where do you want some customers? Like, 
you've got i think you said you got 47 different categories maybe or whatever no we've we've got we've got close to 300 different categories yeah, different, where's yeah. like or where are you like you know what i don't know why this category is not taking off yeah well there, I, there are a few of those so we should get some of your cut let's get a few people out there listening to this to like try it out oh i i love that idea so our our biggest categories are really the ones that we you know this stuff takes time the biggest categories that we have right now are are hay because we started with it and because there's not a great liquid market for that stuff right now anyway but cattle and equipment are fast coming i mean they're they're moving really quickly the one frankly that i would just love to get your thoughts on because of the experience on this on this call is on the grain side right so uh, it's a much more developed uh system supply chain uh, there's professionals in this that do risk management and trading all the time but i am still very interested in the physical movement of the grain into the feedlot into you know into the mill into that bakery that's looking to source a particular you know quality profile i think there's something there i think it's more complex than some of the other um categories but i also think there's a huge opportunity in that space too so that that would be a an area that i would i would uh, welcome so let me think through this a little bit and get a little geeky um yeah if we're on ebay i use payval and ups yep but here depending on the product how it moves is unique to that channel Absolutely. and so do you have to like pre-build transport in there or do you just say oh by the way we also i mean there's a workflow there yeah, uh, you know, you're and, talking about one of the most complex part of the ag supply chain, right? It's if this would be so easy if we were selling USB cables and we could drop ship them and it's done, right? Uh, you know, send it away in a box. Um, what we're seeing interestingly is on some of our categories, I'll use hay again as an example. Uh, not only are we connecting buyers and sellers that would not have met otherwise but we're also connecting buyers with trucking resources that they would not have known otherwise. So almost 50% of our transactions, we're not only connecting the buyers and sellers, we're also connecting the third-party transportation logistics for it. And I think, you know, as we go back to the grain piece, I'd love, I'd love some thoughts on this, but whether it's grain or chickpeas or some of these other sort of uh, more specialty crop things, the containerization of those items closer to the field level and then the ability to move those those containers that packet of of a, a particular commodity at a particular quality level i think that gets really interesting down the road and so you know having there was the a startup i can't remember the name of it but we looked at a startup that was unit containerizing at the 360 uh what are they something 360 I, he's been in my office a couple of times but yeah they had they had uh rail cars that they were placing in fields and you know you just load them with whatever uh, variety it may be and then you could stack and store it they'd come then take it load it transport it to a holding facility or you can hold it on your own farm or your own operation so see but yeah. in, in, the, in the ag world carter like uh you know like instead of byob uh you know bring your own beer i mean it's byot bring your own trailer and it's pretty <laughs> universal it's pretty universal shit guys got their own you know everyone kind of knows we got to go pick up our own yeah. We're buying cattle. We gotta go get them, and if we're buying uh, equipment, it, we gotta go get it. You know what, what's well, really is that cool? like the Uberization here? I mean, do you need like a oh, yeah. Uberized trucking fleet? Our, our uh, the the 
the logistics side, the third party logistics side is is an area that's going to grow tremendously on a marketplace like this, you know, because sometimes you bring your own trailer, right? And that works. You know, we've had transactions as close as seven miles apart. So the neighbor didn't know the other neighbor was selling something, which is what you want to see in a marketplace. But we've had transactions that are 1500 miles apart where these guys would have never known each other. We had to figure out, you know, we had to help the buyer figure out transportation logistics to get it there. So it's a, it's, I think that's a, you know, that's a fascinating area, that logistics piece. And it's one of the things, it's one of the reasons why we don't already have something at a massive scale in ag doing this. Like the logistics are, are huge uh, for this. You do have sales. I mean, you have, I've seen it. Like here's the trade that we're talking about. I mean, if you got a question, here's the phone number. So you've got, your customer yep. success team is you're yeah, not we've, we've got it can be digital it can be over the phone i mean you know you and, well, well we fought yeah real humans with a real phone number we don't hide the phone number but you know that's important because what we find is you know if you're going to drop fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars on a transaction and it's your first time doing it again this is different than buying you know something on ebay you know this we're not buying purses on on uh and who do you have on the phone? Do you have some people in India? We, well, no. So we've got, we've got, no, they're all US based. They're all, actually, they're all Kansas. All farm kids. <laughs> all farm kids. Oh, I, I got to tell you, these are tough, tough farm kids. Uh, they're, they know the language. What's fast, you guys will find this kind of fascinating. We actually have people that will call us up to ask us if somebody else, not on Hitchpin, but somebody else that they have seen on a Craigslist or some other place is legitimate like that's it's weird to me that they're calling us to ask if somebody else is legitimate but here's the cool part our team actually knows because they, <laughs> they actually know they're like no that is clearly a scam do not go you know do not go to facebook and and do that. and so i mean it, you know that's the, that's the sort of stuff that you earn respect with and then once you've had that successful transaction and once they trust the marketplace and once they got paid fast and the money's in their account, that second transaction doesn't require a phone number or, or a phone call sometimes. Or, yeah. you know, like you you have you have brought them into a place where they trust it. And all of a sudden they can now self-serve in a lot of in a lot of ways. So it's, you know, a lot of tech companies try to skip the human element at the beginning. But that doesn't work in in the sort of business that we're in. But long term, I think folks like efficiency. And if they can if they can make a purchase at three in the morning, uh, you know, while they're sitting in, in you know, laying in bed thinking about um, feed for the next couple of weeks and they can do that asynchronously with somebody, that's pretty cool. Right. Um, and we're, we're already seeing that happen. And you uh, you got some good stuff behind you. You want to explain it? You got a couple pictures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this. You know, this is just a, a example of our our live app right now, um, and I just pulled this one up. But it happens to have a, a tractor for sale for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. This is it's got some equipment on it, but each one of these each one of these pins these these are all live um, represents a different product or service. So you see, you got a welding a welding hat there. So people that support the ag supply chain, the welders, the truckers, all that. They can list their services. You've got poultry, you've got trucking, cattle, veterinary, veterinary services on there. So it's it's pretty cool because as you search through the map, you can discover things around you that you may not even know were there, either geography based or 
or, you know, or in other searchable ways. So yeah, it's, um, it's amazing. Like once you, and once you said also you flying or what's, Oh I, yeah. I have a, I, you know, I'm a, that's a piece of farm equipment, by the way. Uh, you know, my, my dad and I are both pilots and that's a bush plane. It's, it's nothing fancy. It's like a Jeep with wings. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun because you can go out and check fields with it and, and land in crazy places that you would not normally, uh, a pilot would not normally land, but uh, my kids are above, they've been flying since they were little. So cool. Um, yeah. It's one of the reasons I love living in the, this part of the world is you have you have the freedom to do some of those things. Trevor, uh, what round uh, raises are you in? What are you guys doing on the raise side? We've had we've had successful rounds already, um, and I'll give you maybe kind of a quick backstory on that. Um, I'm a I'm a Kansas farm kid. Uh, did ag policy in D.C. Uh, for a member of Congress for a number of years, so I, I kind of see both sides of that. This is my third tech company. Um, so I have, I have, uh, I have the scars from, you know, how hard it is to build things, but I also understand the the opportunity with that. Um, I was actually doing a mid-career master's at MIT thinking about Hitchpin and I met with these investors and they said, we love this marketplaces are going to change every industry. We know nothing about agriculture, but we know marketplaces are going to change it. And that's what they told me. And then they immediately said, you got to move to San Francisco where there's money and talent. And and uh, you guys, I don't know if you can see the chip on my shoulder from the the video conference here, but I, I said, you know, actually, guys, we're going to move this to a place where I can hire people that understand agriculture, where they can speak the language, when they can take that tough customer call and know exactly what's happening. We raised our first round of funding in 12 days, so the idea that there's no money and talent in the center part of the country is just absolutely absurd. Um, and we've had successful rounds after that. Our current, uh, our last finished round was an internal only round. So um, all the investors wanted to put more money in, which is always a great, great sign. And so I had a couple of people on the perimeter and it's actually very similar to what you guys were talking about earlier, which is how do you, how do you engage people further up the supply chain? And I had a, a gentleman that had sold a bakery for a hundred million and he, we wanted to have him as an investor. So we created a convertible note round for new investors that we want to add that have particular expertise to add to the supply chain discussion. We're going to fill that really fast. Uh, and then eventually we'll do a, a larger scale up round after that. But I'm really using the convertible note round that we have right now to be very selective in folks that bring value beyond the cash, right? They have experience in the industry. They've got connections and, and they really uh, there's a soul behind what we're building here. So it's important that they they be doing this for the right reason. Yeah, it makes sense. That's good stuff. Yeah. Sure. Can we wrap things up a little, Carter? Yeah, I just to geek out here a little bit. Um the the sort of what's gonna happen in the supply chain. So you can almost imagine if like we get back to economics here, is all the hedging that goes on. And all the trouble that people are having in terms of keeping the farm up and running and running into problems where yep. hay's not available. These are all sort of like these, these, these are all solvable things. Absolutely. And, and uh, I, I, we might pretend that that's like, uh, if you add up all of the hedging that goes on and sort of say, what part of this hedging is because we can't coordinate the signals of supply and demand. And 
where are the arbitrage that's not being used? Yep. Like as we're talking about, hey, you add that all up. I'm not positive what that number is, but let's pretend for a second that it's like $500 billion. I mean, it's not a small number. Correct. And uh, go back to tech. You know, back in the 70s in tech, we did everything with punch cards and by hand. Yep. And in the 80s, we did computer chips. In the 90s, we did the internet. In the 2000s, we did mobile and we did uh, um, SaaS. And now we've changed business models and you have Airbnb. We're, we're on that same path here in agriculture. Absolutely. And people sort of say, how do you get more profitability in agriculture? You take out all of that waste occurring through poor integration and price signals in that hedging and such. And so the we are working, we started using ChatGPT internally a year ago. And the idea was that we we look through 4,000 startups and stick it in a database and don't do anything with it. So like I said, what can we do with that? So we, we crammed that in ChatGPT and made it so we could start asking our questions. And then we said, Beck said this, like, well, can we stick our our data in there too? And can we make this available to startups and, and the farm gate? And so we're sort of working through that. And then Microsoft came to us and they said, we don't know shit about agriculture and we don't understand this trucking thing. And we think we can do root optimization, but we don't know. So the other thing here, Kevin, that I'm sort of excited about is the back end of what Trevor is doing, the data that he's got, is a signal for us at iSelect of where the new market opportunities are. And, and in some ways, what we're going to start trying to think through is like, if Trevor's in there working through the systems and Hayes moving great, okay, cool. But there's other things not moving great. That then tells me there's demand for this to, to get the price signals right. If I'm thinking economics way, get the price signals right, the market demand right, the friction, remove the friction out of the system. But it's specific. There is some soy that's got to move in this yep. kind of truck to this place. So it's not like you can just digitize it like you're at Google. Yep. There's actually physical supply chain that needs to be put together. And so the, the breakthrough here that I think we're starting to see the signals of here are taking the practical reality of I'm a producer and I want, I want to get screwed by these market signals and efficiencies yep. and I want profitability but I need you people on the innovation side to give me a tech solution and a physical solution. And I think we can start mirroring, mapping together the sort of the kinds of things that Microsoft wants to do in the back end to make some of the back end stuff easier. Trevor's out there getting the, the initial demand. And, and this is, uh, to me, this is like 10 years from now, people are like, I don't know who all these people are, but thank God, because my farmer <laughs> profitability is up. The 16 year old will now be 26. And he'll be he'll be running his own eight thousand acres that he was which, able to use because he which, which he wasn't out. able which he wouldn't have been able to get into. Wouldn't have been able to. He's going to be yep. tech enabled, tech forward. He's going to be using this stuff. He's going to be doing what he likes to do, farming. Yep. But he's going to be using yep. the best of technology and robotics and things like that. So it's <laughs> the scheme is coming together. Uh, it's coming together quick. Yep. Uh, it needs investment and it needs customers. I think I think in in five years we will look back on this and we will go this was inevitable. Like of course, uh, not everybody sees it yet, but the, but it it will be exactly as you as you say, uh, Carter. This is coming, and then on two fronts, like one, the price signals are interesting for existing commodities, but something that I think is relevant to your podcast 
is how does a producer get exposed to new technologies that are coming out, right? So how do they how do they find that new soil sensor or that new robotic uh, sprayer or you know whatever it is? And and what we're seeing on Hitchpin is we're getting all kinds of of tech companies coming to us saying, can we list our new product or service on Hitchpin because we want the producer that's coming in to try to sell cattle to see that oh well here's a new there's a new AI. Um, service in the area that they could that they could do. So um, that's that's exciting about a platform not only connecting existing supply and demand, but also being able to 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 connect a new style of technology or a new opportunity to producers, and not in a philosophical way, but in a way they can actually purchase, test out, see if it works. And then if it does, you know, continue to continue to utilize. So that's that's the stuff that I, I get excited about. And, and Kevin, a little bit as we sort of explore the CTO thing, yeah. I think our job here, and this is the kind of help that you need to give me, is like we're, we're not I'm not here saying this will definitively happen, yeah. but there'll be a ground game here of people skinning the game, really using the product, making it better. Oh yeah, for sure. I'll take the opposite argument on the AI side with with agriculture. No, I'm not going to take an opposite. I'm just I'm just going to say this. And I was using artificial. I was talking about embryo transfer. Just just so you know, that's the that AI that, that we that's care that's about. A, that's that's a, 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 I mean, there's AI in other places, but I was talking embryo. Yeah, and Carter's talking Chat GPT and things of that yeah. nature. What we've seen for years. So in the trading world, everybody when computers, I was at the forefront of online trading and you know, computerized trading models and everything else. And it was going to change trading and change the world and shit. It never did. And I heard the same thing in agriculture and farming. And some of my biggest investment mistakes were not understanding that in agriculture specifically, a big time in trading, but a lot in agriculture, it's a combination of art and science. Okay. Getting a plane off the ground is science getting my farms to work in Brazil or Argentina is yeah. science and yeah. a lot of art, yeah. a lot of art. And that's where I think the producer, you know, we go and listen to a lot of this shit out of, you know, out of California or Silicon Valley or some of the other, and you hear a lot on the tech side. And I talk to a lot of ag tech startup people and they think, Oh, it's this easy. It's this easy. It's this easy, but it's not. Yeah. And what we've learned is, you know, if you're a fourth generation farmer or fifth generation, I mean, your dad and his dad and his dad have taught and passed down a shitload of art. Absolutely. Yeah. You. And that art is so valuable. Absolutely. And so when you try new technology and it leaves art out of the equation, that's what I'm saying. AI isn't going to teach you how to hit a baseball like Barry Bonds. I'm just saying there's a lot of art. There is science involved in the swing of a golf club or a baseball yeah. bat, but there's also a lot of art. And similarly with farming and agriculture, I mean, you would really be surprised at how much art's involved uh, out on the farm that, that a lot of folks just discount, you know, and they don't understand the years and years of working and understanding their ground, their soil, the way it drains, the way the rain's affected, different things, I mean, different nuances. And I get smoked all the time thinking, oh, well, we'll just hire some people to go out there and do what that person did. And yeah, it never works like that. So uh, I, and that's I, a... That's the subtlety of the what does every startup need a customer? Because yeah. really, if they got a customer, then they did something to make that customer happy, which yep. means they figured out the puzzle pieces between 
art and science and productivity. Yeah, yeah right. I, I, agree. I love I love I love the way you describe that, Kevin, because that's exactly how we view the world. Like when I talk about the digitization of this stuff, it's not a cold science. Like every time we add a new category, we've got producers in talking about like what is the pain point that you have like you know what we really got to understand the the human side of this and you know i i think it's fascinating when you think about information movement and the 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 sort of um asymmetry of information that has been involved in agriculture i mean that's what makes good trades right is asymmetry in information and i think what we're trying to do is not necessarily take that take the human element or the the base knowledge out of that we're just trying to connect these people in a, in a new way that, for sure. that, that essentially they can now leverage that knowledge that they have, but have more information about where the market signals really are. And so I, 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 I agree a hundred percent. This is not taking the art out of it. You're just, you're just giving a new tool in the tool belt. Yeah. You uh, guys for sure. I agree for the, for the producer. So. So you probably know Dowd, you know, Greg Dowd. I have met. Yep. Greg. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, you know, just if, if maybe a real quick thing, like we care, I think the reason behind Hitchpin is again, my dad would sell hay, not get paid, right? And I kept thinking we've yeah. got to have a better way. So there's, I think in general, it, for us, it's about the producer and about this, their connectedness into the supply chain. But I will also say maybe for the broader podcast listener here, we've got to figure some of these things out. I was just on a webinar a little bit ago and it had the, you know, a trade ambassador on it. And, you know, we've got over 300 million people that are now food insecure. And when you go back and look at what caused the, the Arab spring and some of those things in 2012, food insecurity was a big part of that. And, and so I think from a producer standpoint, we care about the guy on the farm, but at the macro level, we've just got to figure out a more efficient way of moving this stuff, a more efficient way of producing it, of transporting it. Like all this stuff has to be more efficient or we're going to have a world where there's going to be a lot of people hungry and hungry people do desperate things. Yeah. Uh, so it becomes a national, a national security issue. I think to think about this food supply chain in a bigger yeah. sense and all the producers that we talk to, they get it. I mean, they, the, the bottom line is the dollar on their farm. They, they, I mean, that's that drives their decisions, but they're also farming because there's a bigger, you know, there's a there's a broader reason to do this. Sure. And, you know, I think they take that feeding the world pretty seriously. And and frankly, if Hitchpin doesn't do this, I, I just pray there's other technology companies working on this. I've got I've got four kids and I don't want them to, you know, humans have been fighting over uh, over oil and land for a long time. We don't we don't need to be fighting over food. That's why I brought up Dowd, because I know Carter spent some time out there with their think tank group at Aimpoint. And I think from a broad perspective, they're working through some of those thoughts. Right, Carter? I mean, when you've been up. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen some recent stuff. Dowd has for a long time been talking about Brazil yes. and Russian, Russian aligning. They just signed an agreement uh, to figure out how to do exchanges had some inside information that suggests that China's buying a lot of Bitcoin and doing a lot of origination Bitcoin that might be used for trade settlement. There's some further conversations really about um, Iran getting involved in that. If you start seeing something out of like uh, UAE, because UAE's got a lot of natural gas, so Brazil's got no fertilizer. 
Belarus has the fertilizer they need. If those guys all get together, I'm not positive which way it goes. I don't know whether that's good for us, meaning like the whole rest of the world's like, well, we don't we don't really want to be part of that team and they're going to do their own thing. So we want we want to source from the U.S. in some way. I mean, U.S. is always best productivity, best yield, best, you know, it's way ahead of everybody else. So there's a lot of reason for people to be in our stream. Yeah. But we might, you know, you, you, those decisions you think about for this next crop, you're probably in the August. Last time I talked to Craig Dow, you start, might start seeing some major stuff going down by July, August. But we could be in a situation in September where we're sort of looking at ourselves and saying, Brazil is going to satisfy China. We're not going to do any more into China food-wise. And that there's this weird alignment going on and that that we're rushing around trying to figure out how to fiddle with demand and fertilizer. Um, and this is something Aimpoint's been talking about for a while. Yeah. Uh, but the signals are, there's some recent signals that that they are in fact lining up at least on how to how to trade de-dollarize trade between Brazil and China. Um and, you know, and, and I would add, I, I think, you know, we saw the pandemic, we had producers calling us during the pandemic, especially crop growers, that said, I can't get my stuff into the supply chain at all. I'm going to be sitting one guy said, I'm going to be sitting on an expensive pile of compost if we don't figure this supply chain out. Then you got Ukraine, but frankly, the math, and you guys probably know the math even better than I, we're going to see these supply chain shocks for the next, you know, 10 years or or longer as the population goes up. And, you know, Carter, to your earlier point about how dietary changes take place. I mean, we're we're like one swine flu away from a major catastrophe in, in one of these countries. And so, I mean, these supply shocks, shocks are here to stay. I believe. And so anytime you can make the, anytime you can connect things more efficiently, you're, you're going to help mitigate risk. Yeah. I think if the supply chain is more dynamic, I, uh, I, early in my career, I did a lot of lean manufacturing Six Sigma stuff. And, and we took out, we had plants at Boeing that, that we thought were a capacity. Once we did lean Six Sigma through them, we found out that we had twice as much capacity. And so what that means here is, is we get better signals in the supply chain to reconcile we actually may realize we have a lot more capacity and that we've been wasting capacity because of these arbitrage disconnects. So I, I totally agree. And, and I, you know, sort of last point on that is agriculture has always pushed towards this mainframe, this aggregated into a mainframe supply and then redistributed out has been, you know, the, the, how a lot of agriculture has worked in the past. If you look at other industries, that, that lasts for a while, but they eventually get broken into a network and the network ends up being more powerful than the mainframe. Uh, the point-to-point -point connections are more powerful and that's exactly where ag is going. You just need a digital clearinghouse to be able to make those connections. Well, this is a big, I know they were, oh, we could, man, this could be like Joe Rogan. We go on for three hours. Um, but if you go back and you remember the big steel mills all getting sort of disrupted in the eighties and, yep. uh, and then moving to mini mills. And that was sort of a movement towards just in time. There's a, look, I got a lot of friends and I uh, remember uh, Kevin, I think at FarmCon, uh, me and Soren got a little cross uh, about five years ago when we were talking about supply chains here, but it's, 
the concept of moving away from big steel, which I almost consider ABCDs to be sort of in, more to a mini mill concept in which they're more directly integrated with supply chain around specialty. That's how the car industry sort of shifted away from, you know, our cars used to get rusty and be crappy because they all had crappy steel. And then they moved to mini mills, they moved to just in time. And now we have cars that last 20 years and start to get rust. And and so those are real shifts that go on that deal with real stuff. Yep. And, and we may, I personally think that we may be moving into a mode where, you know, maybe you get Lucy on here and we sort of talk, she'd probably got to convince us that Cargill's got to rule the day here. But, but there's a game going on here, I think, in which Cargill and ADM could really see someone move their cheese pretty dramatically. They will survive it, but, but it, and then the other shoe to drop is if, if Ukraine goes the wrong way or we get distracted in Ukraine and something goes on in Taiwan, there's just a lot of stresses coming Absolutely. into the summer that anyway. Yeah. Well, I, think, I, think, I think the stuff that you guys are talking about on this podcast is going to be more, I think we're going to see more investment in the ag space and in technology related to the food supply chain than we see in in many other industries like this. Well, is- I got to say this out loud. I'm sorry, this because this is frustrating the business yeah. out of me is I keep calling people up and talking about the opportunity here. And they're like, well, venture is down. Yeah. Like, not- venture is down in Silicon Valley, but it was never up in ag. And <laughs> and the producers, you know, I'm talking to some of the ag credit people and they're like, farmers are game on. Yep, totally. And and that's why we created this new fund, Kevin. Uh, Kevin and I created this new fund. This is like, this is the perfect time, absolutely, for producers to lean in and say, you know, all you, we got resilient farm kids. Yep. The world needs U.S. production. We're 100%. starting to understand what how technology can help us. It's not so obscure. We've this, got- this window here is going to create some of the some of the best performing companies in the food and ag space that we've seen. Uh, companies in- started in this year, last year, and next year. The, the, this is huge. Google, I mean, you look at the you look at the top venture backed uh, companies, and I'll be fast about this. One of the only profitable ones is Airbnb. It started in the middle of a housing crisis, yeah. and and they're, you know, they're rocking and rolling. So well, what's going to happen, you're going to go to MIT 10 years from now, and they're going to say, you know what you need to do is you need to move your drive tech startup to Manhattan, Kansas, because that's <laughs> all Well, I go back and look, if you Sorry. go back, watch that series. I told you guys before, the food that built America on the history channel. It's, I mean, it's badass, but it's really the late 1800s to the early 1900s where your Hershey's, Kellogg's, uh, those post- I mean, those families are still some of the wealthiest families in in the United States and in the world. And it was a period of time, though, where food dramatically, food and agriculture dramatically changed. Carter opens up with plant-based cheese. I'm telling you, we're (laughs) in the same type of space right here where where agriculture and food, uh, the demand, uh, the health side of it, everything is going to shift and change. And I think, you know, that's why I say we're in the right place. Now, if you can just get your bearings about you and- kind of get, you know, just position yourself correctly. And that's why we like the fun uh, and to talk on the fun just a second. You know, it's just basically you're throwing five grand, 10 grand. And at, at, so Carter gets 4,000 
new ag tech startups, whatever they get, you know, come across their plate. They weed that down. They pick a few they invest in. And then we throw five or 10 grand at each one as they come down the pipe. I mean, it isn't like you're you're not betting the farm on any one thing. You know, you'll have, I think Andy's in 49 or 50 of them he's invested in right now. Everyone that comes down the pipe and, uh, you know, and then you get, you can decide later on you. And then if it's a C round or a D round, you, you can up, you know, you can, you can throw more at it or, or not throw more. Yeah. So any accredited investor can invest, they can invest <laughs> as little as 25,000. We will then invest in 20 of our next startups. And then as they grow up, so they're, they'll be young. They'll sort of look a bit like a little younger than Trevor's here yeah. or like Trevor's and they'll, they'll be. And then a year from now, if they're taking off, you will have the choice to say, you know what? I'd like to put a lot more behind that. Yeah. But you'll be behind it. You'll hear the information about it. You'll. And we're hoping people will become customers of that company. Yeah. And then shit, they can decide for themselves if they like it or don't like it. You know, that was one of the reasons we did this is we had like Holganics customers. Yeah. They have invest in this or how can I invest in these other companies? And we're like, oh, yeah, uh, we should do that. <laughs> so well, we, and, we and would... set it up so that it's easy to invest. It's straightforward. I think you can sign up now and we probably need a, Trevor's dev team to help us make it even smoother. <laughs> but you can sign the thing up. In, in, in a short moment, we should put a storefront on Trevor's thing. Yeah. You can sign up maybe in about 10 minutes. The hardest thing is you got to like put your W-2 up or something like that. But well, you got to say your net worth. I mean, or you got to be make over 100. I don't know what it is. You got to be accredited. So I, I know I'm making it a little simple, but the basic idea is invest as little as 25K and 20 companies. See how they mature. If it's harvesting well. Put some more money on. Well, and I, I would say two things like, you know, the, if you get founders that really care about the customer base that you're talking about, uh, when there's success, those founders want to see that that value come back to real customers, to yeah. real producers like that. That's a meaningful thing for people that are in this stuff for the right reason. So uh, I think you'll I think you'll see produce or you'll see startups and founders gravitate towards that because they they want to see something come back uh, in, into the communities that they're they're trying to serve anyway yeah Another, so the, the other thing on this is we can't take more than 250 people into the fund and and we're that's starting to grow and we're closing in late may on it and guess start investing we're, we'll likely do it again but now now's the time to just you know here's the hard plug and look out <laughs> go to the web you know, decide what you want to do. Uh, and and we're not allowing anyone to sell on this podcast, but obviously Carter's selling his ass. Yeah, I'm selling. We're not selling. <laughs> 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 no, we're kidding. We're just saying hell. It's an avenue. It's a it's a channel. So I think that was great. I, I think including – so we we're going to try and divide the podcast up into three segments, an A, B, and a C, where A, Carter and I talk, B, Trevor – and all of us talk and then see, we wrap up with Carter and I, but shit, I think Trevor was great having his intel Thank you. His, in, the, in the third phase of this thing. So I don't know, Carter, I don't have a whole lot left. I think it's great. Yeah, I, I, should we grade ourselves on the first, first one of this? <laughs> well, I, I wanted to, I wanted to just underline one last thing that Kevin said that I thought was really interesting. You, you look at those companies the ones that we call the ABCs now, and you look, you think about all the wealth that was created in all of that, 
all of those were basically supply chain plays, right? They 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 had a terminal on a river or they had a, a, a facility near a rail line. It was a physical thing. And so I think what's fascinating is, um, you know, I think when we when we talk about this digitization of agriculture, it's no different than those old supply chain terminals. It's just a digital representation of it versus a physical. And that that change is going to happen even faster because it, you know, those things can happen fast. And so I, I would I'm looking forward to future podcasts where you have other people on that are that are talking about this because I think I think this is going to be one of those things that just the amount of value created in this space to to Kevin's point earlier is going to be unbelievably uh, significant. Yeah, uh, we, we were born with one mouth and two ears. So I'm I'm I'd love to hear what people think. Yeah, yeah. We'll have some. We're going to try to have some good guests on and new new startups that uh, reach across the whole space. So I'm I'm happy, Trevor, that you were our first one. And thank you, thank you. It was, it was a joy. Keep doing it on a regular basis. So if anybody needs or is interested, it's hitchpin.com, right? Yep, hitchpin.com, and then hitchpin on on uh, iOS. Perfect. And that that'll have great. you on. All right, appreciate it. Go uh, go K State, right? Hey, we like that. All right, buddy. Thanks, guys. All right. See you, Carter. Later. Yeah.